0: This is Abigail Favali, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Culture. Right, So I am here today with Dr. Anika Prather from Howard University, right? That's where you're currently a professor. Yes, yes. In which department? Remind me. The English. 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 All right. Department. Great. Because mm-hmm. you were teaching in the classics department and now mm-hmm. you teach in the English department. Yes. Um, so I'm so si- excited to talk to you. Um, I first came across your existence when I joined Twitter, I don't know, uh, in January or something, which is still a life decision I'm evaluating. But one of the benefits... <laughs> has been um, learning about you and the work that you do, especially in the classical education um, community. So um, one of the things that I've done here at George Fox um, in the past is direct our honors program. We have a great books program. Mm. Mm. And so one of the questions that we're continually discussing with our students, with each other, is this question about like, what makes a great book great? What should our curriculum look like? You know, we have students who go through the program and Absolutely love it. And then we have some students who go through and think, I don't know, like, is it problematic that we've been reading so many, you know, dead white guys or whatever Mm -hmm. the the phrase tends to be. So um, I'm really excited to to talk to you about race and the classics and the value of the classics and that whole conversation. Right. Which tends it's it's been kind of simmering for a while yeah. but now it seems to really have um because of just the polarized discussions that are happening in yes. our country it's really hit a fever pitch right so yeah anyway so i guess like i don't really know where to start but let's just start with this so should we cancel the classics dr prather what do you think
1: oh of course not i mean <laughs> it's too interwoven into everything for yeah. us to do that we would lose some comprehension of very important texts written by all types of diverse people um, who have found themselves with this body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't, one of the things I try to say is there's nothing I can do about the past in that I can't do anything about the fact that, say, for example, black people read these texts and then their writings reference these texts. I can't undo Mm -hmm. that. And so since I can't undo that and I want to continue to read James Baldwin or Martin Luther King or Toni Morrison or even Achebe, I think Chinua, is that how you say his name, Mm -hmm, I believe? I mean, and I could go on and on because it was so pervasive. I can't go in and say, well, these texts are no longer relevant to us now. So I'm going to go in and scratch out <laughs> every <laughs> reference to a classic text in their texts. Mm-hmm. It's too interwoven in everyone's literature, history, and life experience. And so canceling it is almost like you chisel out a piece from that. Right. You take away some bit of understanding. I know that for me. Um when i see a reference to a classic text and i go read that text it 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 in um highlights the text of, of the african american text i'm reading even more because mm-hmm. i'm now going back and i'm understanding why was this you know text uh referenced here what were they trying to illustrate by mentioning this one line from mm-hmm. shakespeare or this one line from prometheus bound or this one line from the Odyssey. Why did they do that? And when I go back and read it, I'm like, oh, you know, that's why. And then, and then another thing that happens that's really exciting when I do that is the two worlds come together, mm. which is really a, it's a really refreshing experience to see those connections made.
0: Yeah, I would. I want to hear more about this. So, I want to hear more about, I guess, the influence or the impact of the classics in the Black intellectual tradition in America, okay. right? It's like oh, yeah. what role yeah. have they played? Um, I don't know if you can think, I mean, you, you just listed off quite a few Black authors who referred to the classics, but um, can you say a little bit more about that, about yeah. how the classics have influenced
1: Black oh, I intellectuals? Think, well, if, if I go back historically, um, okay, when I first started this journey, so I've gone through an evolution in understanding this narrative. When I first started this journey, mm-hmm at the very beginning, I saw it as, oh, it was a certain group of Black people who maybe went to college and had this type of education and they were drawing from this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then as I got deeper, it was like, oh, more people were reading this. Oh, wait, this person didn't even go to college and they were reading Mm -hmm. it. And before long, I'm saying, wait, this is all they were reading. This is what my ancestors were reading. This was the education they had. It wasn't like only it was only for this group. Now you do have some who maybe took it further and went on to college and graduate school and got their doctorate in classics. But as far as the basic Black education from from actually from slavery until probably around soon after desegregation, that was the only way Black people were educated. Wow. And so that's why so when so, so to, to prove my point, if we look, and many people have heard this story before, but I just want to unpack again so people can really understand why Frederick Douglass chose the Colombian orator. So we have to, if if you look at that story, it'll help you understand. So Frederick Douglass was a slave. It was against the law for him to know how to read, against the law for him to write, against the law to him for him to even have a book in his hand, right? But he's so determined to own a book. After he's pretty much masters reading he's 12 he saves his little pennies up to buy the Colombian orator from a bookstore in Maryland now that person who sold him the book was that was against the law too but for whatever reason he secretly sold Frederick Douglass this book why and and so Frederick Douglass had to walk into a bookstore why not pick any other other books on the shelf Why the Colombian orator? And this is very important. This is where, you know, it's about the kind of education because that was the main, one of the main textbooks used in schools in that time. So Mm -hmm. he is probably seeing school children, the master's children, you know, the young people around him, the white young people around him, what their textbooks were. And he sees this book, the Colombian orator, and that's the book he chooses. Now that's, while he's enslaved and Frederick Douglass never had the privilege of going to formal school even after emancipation he was completely self-taught wow. all of his life right but he he selects books based on the education he's seeing happening around him okay so slavery ends uh Abraham Lincoln along with the Freedmen's Bureau and you know different there were different missionary groups as well began to set up schools Well, what kind of schools were these? The schools they set up for the newly freed people were classical schools. I'm not saying that because I think so. If you go behind, and and Du Bois talks about it in his Souls of Black Folk. He Mm -hmm. lists these early Black schools that started off being schools to educate the newly freed people, and most of those schools went on to be HBCUs, Mm -hmm. historically Black colleges and universities. Their beginnings were in the classical tradition. And there's Mm -hmm. evidence of that. And so, so Black people, when they came into slavery, you know, like any human being, um, uh, Heidegger, Martin Heidegger uh, has this essay called, I think it's What Calls for Thinking. Oh, my gosh, it is the most amazing essay. Right. And he explains how. Just. All human beings go through this process of being in a space. I'm kind of putting this in my own words, but they're mm-hmm. in a space and their eyes or their mind or whatever, their senses um, get the they get the attention of something. But then this one thing draws them in and they become curious to it. You know, it's kind of like they get into a spell mm-hmm. about this thing. And before long, they're just thinking about this thing, wondering about this thing, wanting to research what this thing is that has caught their interest. And so if you take that concept and connect it to the enslaved people, because, you know, back then people didn't think they were human. So they didn't think that black people were curious. <laughs> they just, wow. You know, they didn't think black people wanted to wonder. They thought they just mm-hmm. were savages brought into America to be like cattle and sheep mm-hmm. and horses on their farms. And they they didn't have curiosity. They didn't have a sense of wonder. And that was a that was a mistake. That was a good mistake because by, by by us by them thinking that we didn't do that, we were able to subversively learn, teach ourselves to read, teach ourselves. Many of us taught ourselves to read, and then, um, but that that early self education was in the classical tradition. We come out of slavery, and the schools that are set up uh, for the enslaved people was a type of education that only those people knew. It wasn't that they were trying to force a racist curriculum on us. It's all they knew was the classical tradition. So mm-hmm. the first type of education black people had was classical education. And that's, and, and I, I proved that point not to go on, but I like to just give examples. I have even quizzed mm-hmm. my mom and dad cause they're in their eighties, right? So they're mm-hmm. growing up in schools before desegregation. And I said, I just kind of have this checklist. Did you do recitation? Oh, yeah, we did do recitation. Did you mm-hmm. read? You know, I gave a list of books. Yeah, we did. Baby, you remember that book we used to have to read back <laughs> and such? And I was like, so what does that tell you? And they're like, oh, we had a classical education. I said, exactly. And you could probably do that same assessment with other people who mm-hmm. grew up during desegregation. And so to your point, the classical tradition wasn't so much Us just saying, we must have the classical tradition. It was the only tradition of education that we knew. Mm -hmm. And so that is the only education that we had. Then when one of us would get it and become a teacher or a pastor or a leader in the community, we'd give it give that same type of education to the students. And that reproduction happened over and over and over until Booker T. Washington came mm-hmm. in and introduced industrial education, and then desegregation came along, and that just pushed these industrial education even more. And we we've been pulled away from that. But mm. classical education is part of Black heritage, wow. and that's pretty deep for me.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah, that makes Oh, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> one of the. One of the kind of ironies that I see sometimes in this conversation. So when I have students who, you know, and I understand why they do this, right? They come to college. Many of them probably have never really learned much about racism and the history of our society. And so when they encounter that, it's shocking. They get fired up about it. You know, they get passionate about justice and social justice, which I think is awesome. Um, But then one thing I'll notice in the classroom is they'll almost whitewash the past like out of good intention but you know they'll kind of read say augustine like saint augustine who was african right his his mother was indigenous barber um algerian so you know they'll read him as white right so they'll put him on the list of of dead white guys you know aristotle all these people so people who like if they were to just time travel and suddenly walk into the room there's no way we would look up and say, oh, wow, look, a European white male, you know? Right, Um, right. So there's, there's this irony then that the classics almost becomes whitewashed. Um, So I guess I wonder like what your thoughts are on that. Like, does it make sense to even call the classics white or to call classical
1: authors white? Okay. It's amazing. You asked me that question because like, I think probably for an entire week that has been a debate on Twitter with myself. And followers and it's it's gotten pretty ugly and oh, i just quote script i just quote scripture because <laughs> some of the things that people say are very troubling and one of them was augustine wasn't black he wasn't he was white um he wasn't black and and this you know several people wanted to make sure we understood that he wasn't they wanted us to understand the egyptians were white uh, oh, and so gosh. so any of any any of the ancient civilizations that have contributed to western thought there is a belief that all of those people had to have been white. Oh, That's bizarre. The, the set, it's very bizarre, but it reveals a lack of reading. What, mm-hmm. what it is, is there's assumptions made based on images people have Created, mm-hmm. and that's the belief, as opposed to doing the work of doing scholarship to figure out mm-hmm. what is really there. And the beauty about the ancient texts—they do something that that texts after that, I guess, after medieval don't do as much—is they're very clear on describing the the cultural background of the person, where mm-hmm. they're from, who they are, even to the point of describing the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. And so now St. Augustine, of course, we don't do that, but we know where he, it doesn't describe what color he was, mm-hmm. but you can research and say, well, Berber and mm-hmm. this, and this is what they may have looked like. We know you may not have been as chocolate maybe as I am, <laughs> but he was definitely a man of color. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and but the, the information is there there for you. And so to answer your question about are classics white, let, let's first of all separate mm-hmm. classics from the canon. Okay, So classics, which I always consider from the academic perspective, the text of ancient Greece and Rome, Mm -hmm. all right? And so classics, I don't consider that only dead white males because Mm -hmm. when I read them, I do see an intersection of ethnicities. Mm -hmm. Now, I do see that now the predominant representation is those from Greece and Rome. That's that's Mm -hmm. predominant, but it is not – it does not – it still includes the voices of other people of color, mm-hmm. and that's and 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 even the another beautiful thing that ancient authors do is they will tell you uh, if they say know some knowledge that they got from Egypt or Ethiopia or whatever they'll say oh and the Ethiopians do this and so this mm-hmm. is why we do they'll give that credit Euclid will do it all of them will say we got this from this ethnic group you know mm-hmm. um, Herodotus was willing to leave Greece and travel all around through Africa. And he, he leaves his cave to understand humanity more and to write the histories. And so because of that constant, um, and I consider the Bible, a classic text Mm -hmm. because um, of how much it talks about ancient Greece and Rome and these ancient civilizations and how they all intersect there. And it follows a similar pattern of some of the ancient writers, to be very descriptive of where people are located and where they're from, mm-hmm. and so that's helpful to us understanding the intersection of ethnicities. So classics, I don't consider whites, mm-hmm. especially yeah. since white is a new term; it's not even in the ancient time, exactly. Right? Yeah. And and they they I love the Bible. Even if you're not a Christian, you can appreciate the Bible. Even if you see it as a myth, the stories are written in a way where you see the intersection of so many different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. You know, perfect example, the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. Like who like he's he's just riding along, Ethiopian, probably could speak Amharic or whatever, but is reading a Hebrew Hebrew scroll mm-hmm. and he leaves Ethiopia to go up to Jerusalem and ends up talking to Philip, a Jewish man. So and and the way it's written in scripture is like, oh, this is not abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. You know that it was very common for people to leave their continent to go visit another continent and no one's like saying, "What is that black man doing here? What is that white man doing here? Mm-hmm. What is that Jewish man doing here? Oh my goodness, why is that Jewish man and that Ethiopian talking to each other?" Like you don't get a sense that it was odd for these connections to happen. Yeah. And and he, and, and at the time, the Ethiopian Eunuch is going into an area that was controlled by Rome, and there didn't seem mm-hmm. to be an issue with him going into a, a province of Rome of the Roman Empire. So so people color didn't wasn't a thing like it is to us. Right. Right? It wasn't a thing. It was like people intersected. They left one continent and went to the next. And so you see that play out in scripture. And then if you compare that type of writing to other his ancient historians, you see that they're they're not uh reticent about talking about the diversity in the space and the intersection of ethnic groups in the space. Okay? So and that's why I love classics. Okay? So that's classic. So I do mm-hmm. not consider that White. Um, somebody said we should call it Mediterranean because a lot of it's taking mm. place in the Middle East. Right. Um, I don't really know what to call it. I'm so new to this world. I guess I. I don't know. I'm I'm still stuck with classics because I'm like, to me, a classic is like. A classic car or a classic mm-hmm. shoe or jazz I consider classic because it stands the test of time. So right. that's kind of right. how I look at it. So I'm still stuck on classics. So I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I just haven't found any, another name yeah. to call it. Some people said ancient studies. Okay, whatever. But I don't consider it white. Okay, so that's uh-huh. classics. The The canon uh often gets that label and i think it's because like say if you look at the work of mortimer adler mm-hmm. you do see an absence of diverse voices and we just have mm-hmm. to be honest about that right. and you do see an absence of women's voices right. you know um and so i think a lot of times people mix up the two they right. they punish they punish classics yeah. for the 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 editing that needs to happen with the canon. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the beautiful thing about the canon is that those texts are referencing classics. Mm-hmm. So you still see yourself being a part of this great conversation, discussing right. these common human themes. And I can, I can honestly say, oh, since Mortimer Aller created a canon, then uh, we can all at continue to build on this work. Right. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Not not something to get mad at or to discount because he he was just starting from his, his center point, you know? And right. so I would say that he gave us a formula. If I would go by Mortimer Adler, his formula was that if you're in the canon, you are part of, you've made yourself a part of this great conversation. You're referencing the ancient authors and authors that came before you about these common themes and so on and so forth. Well, then I have, I, in my mind, I've created a canon and it includes Black yeah. authors because mm-hmm. Black authors reference these works as well. And mm-hmm. not just classics, they reference the works of the canon as well in a lot of their writing.
0: Right. So it seems like there are too often these like polarized extremes, like, yes, um, we need to preserve the canon. And so you really police the borders of it, right? And yes. And you, you kind of just stick with the Mortimer-Atler version, yes, or we just need to blow the whole thing up, right? right? We need to like get rid of everything, you know, prior to 1900 yes. or whatever, you know, prior right. to 1900, um, and then just kind of cram it full and, and, and really yeah. disconnect it from this ongoing tradition and conversation. So you're kind of yeah. arguing for this third way, right? Like where yes. you have, you include authors who are part of that tradition yes. including black authors including women authors yeah um, and make them part of the great conversation but you yes. keep the conversation there right you keep yep. the conversation going yeah so yep. that's yeah that's kind of the the way that we've tried to strike in our um in our honors program too like i i use the phrase the generous canon like i it's mm, still a canon but that. it's like yeah. it's generous right there's yep. um and in two ways like it's kind of open but then also it generates right like it yes it generates more um because yes. of that now have you you started a school right or am I yes. mean that so yeah I'm interested in I mean I presume that you must have had some say in what the curriculum is there yeah. or like what does it look like? What does your kind of great books canon look
1: like? So um my great books canon is um as I go as we go along I, I stick with Pretty traditional classical curriculum. So I mm-hmm. use classical academic press or memorial press. Um, I love Well Trained Mind, yeah. uh, Story of the World. Yes, oh, oh my gosh. Just, my kid's obsessed
0: with that right now. He's like a nine year old. Yeah. Yes, so and my good. students
1: are too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and then as I go, I am inserting. Mm-hmm. If I find an author or a piece of history that I feel is missing from that curriculum I added in and mm-hmm. the, the other teachers do do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and to, I want to, I want to illustrate what I mean by that. If, um, this was not this year, but this was when I was teaching at another, I was a principal at another predominantly black, uh, classical school. Um, the one that my parents founded, and oh, wow. we were reading, um, raising in the sun mm mm-hmm. Right. And there's a line in Raising the Son where Benita's boyfriend says to Walter, he's so frustrated because Walter is, Walter hasn't h- gotten humble yet. He's continuing to try to, you know, just be real shady and getting to this house and getting the money for this house and all that stuff. And he just has a really nasty attitude because he's messing up life and he doesn't want to admit it. And Benita's boyfriend, who is Walter's sister, says, oh, he was just so disgusted. And he says, Good night, Prometheus. And he storms out and leaves. <laughs> That's just that that one line. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I said, Oh, guys, we have to read Prometheus mm-hmm. Bell. Why would he call mm-hmm. him Prometheus? We had this great discussion about pride, about mm-hmm. not wanting to admit when you're wrong, and you're about to make a mess of yourself. And thank goodness uh Walter got his stuff together before he ended up like Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> But my point is, but that, and that's what we said, we were able, and so yeah. that's, that's an example of a way where we are reading Prometheus Bound, right? But we are seeing how it's connected to the Black narrative. Or um, the other day, this year, we were reading John, something from John Locke, but there was this, there was this one principle that John Locke has, something like, um, no, no person can own another person's body, like you own mm. your own self, Right. And we talked about how if 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 American history says that a lot of America is based on the thinking of John Locke mm-hmm. we as black people in this space can discuss they they claim they are following the teachings or the the philosophy that John Locke sets, but they weren't really following it with mm-hmm. enslavement and with Jim Crow and My so love. on and so forth. And so these, and so that—that's an example of how are we engaging in this great conversation. Basically, mm-hmm. that's essentially what you're saying. As a black school that studies classics, how are we engaging the conversation? The other piece, and one more example, would be we were going through a Latin curriculum and a lot of Latin curriculum, so that students learn to see Latin everywhere. Mm-hmm. We'll do different exercises at the beginning, so you can see Latin on the on the, on money or. Latin mm-hmm. in a state motto or whatever. So we were learning about, this This lesson started out learning about the state motto of Alabama, right? Now we had been just talking about Martin Luther King's marches and mm-hmm. speeches. We looked at some video of when the children marched in Alabama and things like that. And so I can't remember how to say the quote, but it was um, a, a Latin quote, which meant we dare to defend our rights. That's that's the mm-hmm. That's the motto for Alabama. So we looked up, When that model was created, it was created back in the early 1900s as, you know, when construction was ending, Mm -hmm. Jim Crow was coming in and Alabama was wanting to hold on to its right Right. to keep Jim Crow, to oppress. Wow. And so, and so we, then we watch, now this is a Latin class though. Wow. So then, (laughs) so then we watch... The video of the young children marching in Alabama and the police dogs being put on mm-hmm. them and the hoses—I said, look at them defending their rights.
0: Yeah, wow, you turn it on its head right there.
1: Yep. I said, so look at them—they're defending their rights. Mm-hmm. Black people were marching to be considered equal, but Alabama's like, no, we re- re- reserve our right to keep mm-hmm. you in your place. Mm-hmm. And and then we pull up. The coat of arms for Alabama, and there you see right there in the middle the Confederate flag Oof. and so why am I doing this now somebody's gonna say this and say you know i don't um I don't consider it anything but teaching history. This is just us understanding as black people what some of these things what is the historical context of these Latin phrases and these things, and then also I tell them this I said. Somebody is misusing classics here. So it's not even a lesson hmm. to make them angry. It's I want to show them that this is not what classics is about. Mm-hmm. Someone taking Latin phrases and Latin mm-hmm. and classic references to to support a racist history. And I'm not saying Alabama may be like that right now, but they may need to adjust that so mm-hmm. that we can distance right. ourselves from that history. Right. If we're really saying we're moving forward, but that that's for another conversation. <laughs> but but my point is this. I also want my students to understand that's not classics. Right. And one of the one of the the disagreements we I have with, especially on Twitter, is um you will get a lot of people who are into um unhealthy thinking when it comes to race relations. And part of it they say we are part of this is Western civilization. No, it's not. It's not. Because when you look at the writings of Aristotle and what does it mean to to live in community with people? What is Mm -hmm. civic friendship? What is, you know, those things? And these weren't perfect people. Don't get me wrong, you know, but I my assumption when I read Socrates or when I read Aristotle or any of those other things, when I read Herodotus, I would think they would look at America and be like, you guys are crazy. Like, what is wrong with you? I really think they would think like that. And so mm-hmm. I said, but people have misappropriated classics mm-hmm. and made it be attributed to things that are racist. And that right. is why we're in the situation we are right now. Mm-hmm. And I have to unpack that because these are kids who have parents that are wondering, why, are you, why does Do- Dr. Prather have you reading this? And right. But but now they can defend, that's Miss, Miss Aniko or Dr. Prather is showing us that is not really classics. That's somebody mm. misrepresenting it, right? Or making a wrong connection to it. I hope I'm making sense, but I. Yep. So it's, I try to do. I want them to know the truth, but I want them to know it in love. Yeah. And then, and I have found teaching that way has made them love classics more. Hmm. Right. It hasn't, and it's even made them love people more who don't look like them, because you're understanding the historical context of things. And and appreciating the journey mm-hmm. of humanity here, right? Yeah.
0: What's the history of the misappropriation of the classics? Like, when did that kind of begin historically? Is it just kind of does it unfold just at the same time as you have the you know colonial and I'm trying era? To, and, uh, yeah. You know,
1: and and so I this is this week is the first week I've desired to want to figure out when did that happen? Yeah. I asked the question. Um, and the, I hope I'm not getting you, getting you away from what you want to talk about, but I feel it's, I feel it's connected. So one day I went on Twitter and I said something about, oh, I just love my black heritage or something Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, now people who follow me know that I'm very open. I'm not, um, I don't, I don't do black pride or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I do love who God has created me to be. Right. And I've always explained myself in that way. But, um. And all of, a, all of a sudden, somebody randomly says, um, well, how would you feel if I said, I love my white heritage? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, actually, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I said, you know what? And mm-hmm. I was very sincere. I said, I literally don't know what white heritage is. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? And at that point came all of these tweets. It's Western civilization. It's Western civilization. It's Western wow, civilization. Interesting. And. And a lot of those tweets were also rooted in some hate talk towards me as well. You know, you're not smart. You didn't know. You're so stupid. It's Western oh. civilization, dummy. You should go read. You know, you're ungrateful. Bleep, 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 bleep. Just yes. a lot of really racist. But but those racist responses right. also said we celebrate the West, Western civilization. And so and so this is a very public conversation. Mm -hmm. And so all it is doing is is proving the point that Western civilization is racist. Right. Because all of these people who are saying racist things to me are saying this is Western civilization is our culture. And that's very sad because it's such a beautiful body of knowledge that isn't racist. It welcome Du Bois Mm -hmm. says in that famous quote. I summon Aristotle and mm-hmm. what soul I will. And they all come with no scorn nor condescension. Mm-hmm. So, and and when Frederick Douglass read it, he said before he got a hold of Cicero, he was in despair that he would always live the life of a slave. Mm-hmm. But then when he began to read Cicero and others, he found hope that he would be free and that he was equally human. Mm-hmm. So I have a very different perspective. Right. And my ancestors had a very different perspective on classics and Western civilization because Mm -hmm. in the Columbian Orator were other works of the canon not just ancient texts but there were other works of the canon in the Columbian Orator and they found themselves there liberated there Phyllis Wheatley found liberation there Martin Mm -hmm. Luther King says most of my philosophy for the civil rights movement came out of the great philosophers, such as Nietzsche and and others, or um, even the Black Panther talk about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Huey P. Newton talks about Plato's Republic being the thing that gave him the inspiration to wow. want to do something to help his people. Uh, and so that's our story. But yet in this exchange I had on Twitter, which drove me to my knees, yeah, and it made me sad because. People like you. There are people who are like, no, that Western civilization is something for all of us to connect to right. and to feel equal and to feel welcome. Right. But I got a barrage of tweets, racist tweets, to me. I, one one person said, "What do you mean? What is white culture? White culture is Western civ. We and we were we were building the Colosseum while your ancestors were pissing in a hut." <gasps> That was a tweet this week to me, and but yet he thinks he's celebrating western civilization so when when right. we talk about disrupt texts and why these people are doing this outrage mm-hmm. you know when we see the when we see the slogan of Alabama, we dare to defend our rights in Latin, and those the rights at the time that slogan was written were about protecting the right to keep black people in their place and to keep up a certain a way of life in the South, w- what else would people think who haven't read the text for themselves? But right. these texts must be racist because look at all these racist people yeah. uh, appropriating it. Right. And so what I feel my role is for my school, my role in academia is to, to uh, I'm doing a podcast coming out with classical academic press. Awesome. And I wrestled with what to call it some people say, you should call the Anika Prather show. I'm like, no, this is not even about <laughs> me. And I'm calling it Reclaiming Our Canon. Mm. And I intentionally say the word our. Yes. Yeah. We have to come. I'm getting emotional just talking about mm-hmm. it. We have to come together. Those of us who have a right perspective on this, we have to come together and take it back. Mm. Yes. Take it back from those who right. are misrepresenting it. Who are misappropriating it? Who right. are using it as a tool to hurt and to oppress and mm-hmm. to to foster hate? We have to reclaim our canon.
0: Yeah. 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 Wow. Yes. Preach. Wow. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's. Uh, I'm so sorry. Speaking of Twitter being, you know, kind of a hellscape. Sometimes that's just so awful to hear that. Yeah. You know, and you're exactly yeah. right because that kind of hateful rhetoric and behavior it does just feed that narrative right yes that yes. oh yeah the western western civilization is basically just racism and colonialism like that's yes. the western yep. civilization yeah um yeah so yeah so I'm. Um, i keep thinking of this quote from audrey lord right this black feminist writer who says that the master's tools can never dismantle the master's house right mm. so her, I mean, her argument is, you know, more like we mm. can't, you know, we shouldn't mm. turn back to like Plato and Aristotle and, you know, all these people who are part of that, um, who are part of that tradition that did right. lead to race-based slavery yeah. and yes. colonialism, right? Yeah. So we can't look to that tradition to dismantle those things.
1: Mm, um, but it
0: sounds like you have a different perspective, right? I it sound, do, Yeah, yes. so... Um, yes. Yes. I guess how would you respond, especially maybe to a student who has that perspective, right? Maybe you've had students who have kind of had that well, perspective. Well, because
1: those same texts were used to dismantle the master's house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. I mean, because the abolitionist movement, all of them were very proficient in classics, mm. in the works of the canon. Um, the, the Underground Railroad was rooted in, you know, those people who were running that, they were, they were reading the canon the right way, mm. Um, Frederick Douglass, you know, he was dismantling the master's house with right. the canon, with right. the classics. So we've already, and, 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 um, the Black Panther is another example of the empowerment they felt. There's a quote that Fred Hampton says that we will only fight racism with logic, not violence. Wow. Hmm. And so uh that's very interesting, you know, because when the media wouldn't want us to believe, well, the you know, Black Panther are violent people. No, they were trying to protect our people from violent people. Mm. And and that's what people need to understand. And I'm not saying they were perfect people. I'm a Martin Luther King person myself. So anyone mm-hmm. listening there, don't, don't, you know, don't misunderstand. But I'm just saying that the liber all liberation movements, even Gandhi's liberation movement, right. all liberation movements. Find their roots in in the works of the canon, right? And and so so we've already we already have proof that these texts can be used to dismantle the master's house, right? And so I think that um, the first thing that we need to understand is that I don't know if we can really ever change racist race racism. I don't know if we'll ever be able to get rid of, mm-hmm. but we really have to change how we educate, how we mm-hmm. especially K twelve. I'm really big on this K twelve yeah. education because. K-12 education, um, uh, I feel, is almost a factory for reproducing racist thought. Wow. And so, uh, and so, and so, children, and they grow up, they go into schools with, because the curriculum excludes people of color hmm. from the conversation, even classical schools, private schools that have a classical, right. classically inspired curriculum, if they only are celebrating that, like, um, then they can't. They're going to come out thinking that this is all about me. Um, and so in K-12, if we begin to teach our students to begin to see how all of these authors and writers and thinkers and philosophers have been connecting, you know, and reading e- those those texts, then they come out understanding that the great conversation includes their voice as well, mm. Black students can come up realizing that I'm part of the great conversation. White students can mm-hmm. come out of the com- come out of school realizing that the conversation is not just about me mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or for me. Right, you know, it's right. for all of us. So yeah. we it, so the K-12 is really where the issue is. It's not about these books. I have this joke that I say. I say classics in the canon. If you were to make a caricature of a book. They'll be like, wait, why is everybody mad at me? I'm just trying to be a book. Like. <laughs> but everybody's attacking these texts as right. if they're the reason for America's problems. And it's people. Yeah. People's hearts are the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, out of the heart flows the issues of life. Not out of a book flows the issues of life. Right. God's word says, out of the heart. People's mm-hmm. hearts need to be changed. And then as a Christian community, you know, I feel like a lot of times we get distracted. We're so busy trying to have conversations based on secular th- theories. Now, I personally don't have a critique or criticism of CRT, mm-hmm. but I just don't think it's a the church or Christian, the Christian community should be letting that dominate this conversation. We don't mm-hmm. need we don't need a secular theory to help us heal the body of Christ, mm-hmm. you know. We have the scripture. We have the example of Jesus Christ. So we can have very real conversations about what would Jesus, how would Jesus want us to come together as the body of Christ based on his example. And we can use that as a way to be a light in this world of what it should look like. But at the same time, these same people that say some of these racially insensitive things are often found in the body of Christ. Mm. And so there has to be a heart change. Mm-hmm. There has to be a change in how we do education. And and all of that has to come realizing that, number one, we're all sinners saved by grace. Mm-hmm. And number two, that um, God is no respecter of persons, that we're mm-hmm. all made in His image. We're all a part of human history, and we teach and educate in that way. Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds. I'm listening to you talk. It sounds like the debate seems to be about whether or not to, you know, whether or not we should still read or study the classics. And it seems like what you're saying, no, the question is how we do that. The question yes. is how we yes. read the classics, yes. not whether or not yes. we should. Right. Um, because in yes. order to really understand our heritage at all, yes. we have to we have to reckon with these texts, yes. um, yeah. and they have been used and misused, yes. misappropriated. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they can't also be used well. Right? Right. And for like liberating right. purposes, right? Yes. Like you've given yeah. some examples like Frederick Douglass and, yeah. you know, you read letter to a, a Birmingham jail and it's, I read that and I'm like, Oh, look at this. So many of these texts are in our yes. curriculum, you know, like Aquinas, yes. Augustine,
1: you know, it's just yes. this. Yeah. He's steeped yeah. in the tradition, right? Yes. I mean, like even this week I taught a class about that and we watched, first of all, we watched a documentary about horse flies. Oh, okay. And then I said, that's a gadfly. Yes. So, so based on that documentary, <laughs> How, what right. is Mar- when Martin Luther King, when Martin Luther King and we read Socrates, the part mm-hmm, of the that, apologies. of the apology, mm-hmm. when Socrates talks about how he feels he's a gadfly in our society. Right. And when Martin Luther King says we should be nonviolent gadflies based on that documentary, what does right. that mean? What does that look like? You know, and at the time when I was teaching that we were at I was at Howard and the students were talking about that's like the protesters at Howard, like they're being a Mm -hmm. gadfly to the Howard community. Mm -hmm. They're saying we're going to sleep in these tents till you fix our rooms. Mm -hmm. And they just stay there. I said, that's a gadfly, a nonviolent. That's exactly. And I said, oh, what a great what a great practical lesson. And we actually went to go look at the tents and said just to feel it, you know. And that's, again, another example of how I bring it all home. We're, we're reading the apology. Mm. We're reading a letter from a Birmingham jail. We pull out that quote when Martin Luther King says, you know, we should be nonviolent gadflies. Mm. When something is wrong in society, we keep standing in love, proclaiming the truth. Mm. And that's really the only way we can reclaim our canon. It's not, mm-hmm. not joining in in the hate speech. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But we're going to stand on the truth and not be moved mm. and reclaim this shared heritage that we have.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, you're kind of a gadfly, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I didn't mean uh, to. No, this is so great. This is so great um yeah well this has been so wonderful having you on and thank I you. really want to get you out here in person sometimes so I hope you're up yes. for a west coast trip because yes. I'd love for you to come talk <laughs> to our students and um, I would love lead that. A are seminar. you in
1: Oregon is it or- Oregon Yep. It? yeah yes, we're okay. in Newburgh
0: Oregon yeah a little yes. outside of Portland so I would love that yes. well stay strong you know um thank you don't let the haters get you down um I'll be out there you're one of your like Twitter yes. fans
1: <laughs> oh, <girl. laughs> well you know actually it doesn't it. my husband was laughing at me he's like I said, well, number one, you know, I, you've heard my story. I went to um, a lot of the schools I went to were pretty racist, very openly mm. racist, right? And it was like just at the end, like in the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. so it's really fresh. Desegregation is still a little bit fresh, mm-hmm. uh, even still. And so it was very clear that they did not want black students, but they had to accept us mm. because of the law. And the teachers were very clear they didn't want us there. They made it very clear. Mm. And I said, Damon, I said, this was my life growing up. And I have learned to not let it hurt, but it makes me pray for people more. Wow. Because any, any time someone wants to stay in that pace place, space of being seeing someone as inferior, being hateful to someone, just because of the color of their skin, and you don't know their heart, reveals uh, a healing that needs to take place inside mm-hmm. the person. Yeah. Also, we don't want it to be a distraction you know we can leave them in the hands of God and continue to focus on those that want to join in this process, this journey of uh, of celebrating our shared heritage around these texts. Mm,
0: yeah. Well. Amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Um, thank, thank you so much again, and I will talk to you again in the future, I'm yes. sure. Yes.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been a production
0: of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the George Fox Talks podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts on your phone or computer. You can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And you can also find our playlist on YouTube at youtube.com slash georgefoxtalks.